Welcome to the CrocCast, a podcast for peace studies conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. Hello, and welcome to the CrocCast, peace studies conversations convened by the Croc Institute for International Peace Studies at the University of Notre Dame. I'm Kat Bolton, Associate Professor of Anthropology and Peace Studies at the Croc Institute. I'm also the guest editor of the latest issue of the Croc Institute's Peace Policy Publication, which focuses on the important role youth and young adults play in peacebuilding around the world. This is one of three episodes dedicated to conversations with the authors of each of the Peace Policy articles. Welcome to this episode of the CrocCast. I'm Angie Lederach, and this episode is an English translation of a conversation between myself and Naun Alvarez Gonzalez. In this recording, Patrick McQuestion will be reading Naun's input in English. But if you wish to listen to the original conversation in Spanish, which I recommend, you can also find that episode in the CrocCast feed. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Angie Lederach. I'm an assistant professor of anthropology at Creighton University, and I'm here with one of the people who I've worked with the most in ongoing participatory research, Naun Alvarez Gonzalez. Naun, did I get that right? Yes, great. I don't know if you want to introduce yourself as well. Well, for me, it's also a pleasure to share these experiences that are so meaningful. My name is Naun Alvarez Gonzalez. I am a campesino through and through. I'm also a social work student in my ninth semester, and it is a pleasure to share this space with Angie Lederach. We have been working together for many years, thinking about grassroots peacebuilding in Colombia and especially youth participation. So in our article, we wanted to reflect on public policy and peacebuilding from the youth perspective. And in the blog we wrote now, and especially through your voice and your experience, you highlighted three areas for youth-focused public policy, which include the environment, political participation, and equity. Could you start by talking a little bit about these areas and why they are the most important when creating public policies for peace? Great. Thank you very much, Angie. Talking about these ideas today is essential for us as a society, but also specifically for me as a youth. How do we discover the ways in which young people participate in public policy so that our voices are heard? Historically, there has been little participation by youth on policies that are enforced through state regulation. I think that this is essential since, as young people, we must have an impact and we have to actively participate so that our proposals are heard and policies are shaped by the voices of young people themselves. I think this is fundamental. As soon as this process takes place, I believe that things will really change significantly to support peace building. Initially, we started talking about these three areas because I think that in the context where we are, there's a level of inequality that is really vast. What we are looking for is that these spaces are created in an equal and participatory manner. Right now, we believe that in these policy spaces, you don't see equity. There are different sectors that are not represented, or in this case specifically, sometimes young people are not represented in politics, in state processes, or in decrees. What I want to say is that our voices should be heard. I think that young people are a key element to represent our sectors, and we have lots of good ideas ideas that really contribute to the improvement of policies at the state level, but also at the local and societal levels. So our participation is key in all spaces where decisions are being made. 
Yeah, I've learned so much from the process of accompanying the movement that you're part of, now called the Youth Peace Provokers. And as a coordinator of that movement, you have placed environmental questions at the center of your peace building processes. I don't know if you also want to talk a bit about that. Great. I'll start out by saying that Campesinos' identity is the land. That is what identifies us as Campesinos. And because of that, in large part, we defend and care for and protect and restore the environment. Because from the moment that we, as campesinos, stop caring for and defending what is ours, our identity, we won't have peace. So from that moment when we start to have a good relationship with our territory, we will have peace. And we will have real peace. Not just peace on paper, but a peace that we really feel and are inspired by. So for that reason, the Youth Peace Provokers movement prioritizes the protection and care of the environment. Because truly, this is our life. This is what we as young people protect and care for because we want it to be preserved. We want generations to also be able to live and enjoy the beauty of the land and the campo, the countryside. So I think there are a lot of reasons why the epicenter of peace building, Angie, is care for the environment. Other issues like equity and social policy must begin from there. Now, and I have two more questions for you now. First, uh, why do you think it is important to have young people in peace building processes and creating public policies for peace? In other words, what role do young people play? And second, I also wonder if we could touch on our collaboration and ways of doing participatory research with young people. But first, I want to hear a bit from you about why young people in peace building and what role you think that they play. Well, the essential role that young people today play in peace building is that social processes depend on us to examine how organizations and how state governments can guarantee peace in our territories. But it's not only governments. It's asking how we can care for and guarantee the lives of young people and also our land. Young people are key in helping peace processes and peace building from the territories continue. Because it's us who are watching, who are fighting so that violent actions are not repeated and so that the injustices we have had to live through as a territory are not repeated. For this reason, we have lived and suffered through experiences that we really do not want to see happen again. And for that reason, today, we are committed, we are guarantors of peace, so that our territories can have, in a sense, a peace that is truly felt through what we do, and that is felt through the love that exists among us as a territory. So I think that without young people, peace cannot be achieved, because truly young people, specifically in Colombia, have had to live through so many difficult situations. We don't want those events to be repeated. And because of that, we are guarantors of peace to be achieved in a real way so that it's not a peace that comes from transitory governments. They say that work is being done, but really what we want is a peace that is actually being created. Peace building is essential and young people are key act. And this is something that I've learned a lot from you all, that really what you are saying requires a structural change in the way in which peace programs and peace agreements are implemented, which requires much more time and which requires true accompaniment and the amplification of social movements like the youth peace provokers and the wider campesino movement of which you are part, the peaceful process of the Alta Montaña. This requires fewer short-term projects that come from outside. And this is something that you highlight in the peace policy article and something that I've learned from you all that I think is a really key point. It also makes me reflect on collaboration coming from academia. 
as an academic, I have especially wondered from my own place and position, which is different from yours, how can I put into practice this idea of direct youth participation? For example, the way in which we tried to write this blog where I wrote an introduction and you wrote the article, I really don't feel good speaking for you when I know that your voice already exists. And sometimes you can't see that collaboration in a written article. So I don't know if we could reflect a bit on participatory action research or our collaboration. I know that for my part, I've learned a lot in terms of how to put collective processes at the center of research instead of an article or any kind of final product. And then this has really changed me and my own personal life, my own sense of belonging, the way in which I relate to the environment and my own critical analysis, my ability to be aware of different forms of participation. I don't know if you also wanna reflect a little on our collaboration or more generally participatory action research with young people. Well, before responding, I wanted to add to what you said, Angie. We participate in social processes that come with projects and programs, which are done in an intergenerational way. So that these are processes that withstand time and that really continue to work without stopping. I also think it's essential to have accompaniment from academia. We believe that as young people, our voices can be heard through academia because sometimes from where we are in our territory, our voice is very minimal. It's very, very local. So I think that this coordination with academia is how to take these issues to a global level and academia can accompany us and give us visibility to our processes. I believe that this work goes hand in hand and that one complements the other. One of the difficulties faced by social processes is that the processes being carried out in the territories lack visibility. They're not known, but we as movement leaders do a lot in the territories and we are working and not even the state or governments are watching but we genuinely carry out processes and do a lot. So I think that from the moment that academia arrives, we interact with different universities, especially with you, Angie. It has been a way of taking a look at our territory, giving more visibility to our voices. I think that this is something that we as young people are really very grateful for, for all the work you've done in our territories, because really with your doctoral research and the fact that today you are still working with us, that is something to be admired. We think that you are also helping to build a strong movement, and that is what really should be done so that the peace building processes never end. I think it is balanced work because although you are not here, you're working to give visibility to our territory and to make our experiences known and to tell the story of the way in which we are contributing to peace building. I think it's a collective work where we all contribute and we all do it for a single purpose. And I think a key part of committing to the processes in a permanent way is also putting peace building in a relational framework that is ongoing, which you mentioned. I also think it's important that we talk about the current security situation in Colombia and Monte de Maria specifically known. And just to give some background on what happened on May 4th, the criminal organization known as the Gulf Clan, also known as the Gaitanistas, self-defense forces of Colombia declared what they called an armed strike. And this included the occupation of communities in the region of Monte St. Maria. And in other territories throughout Colombia, they also confined people to their homes, burned vehicles, put up roadblocks, and circulated threatening pamphlets directed specifically at repressing the participation of voters that support the presidential candidacy of Gustavo Petro. 
These were really concrete pamphlets that circulated in at least in Montes de Maria that were explicitly directed at the elections in May and June. And the coalition that you participate in, known as the Montes de Maria Regional Space for Peacebuilding, has spoken out about the serious acts of violence that took place across the territory as part of the armed strike. As the coalition's press release explains, quote, these are violations of human rights, non-repetition, dignity, the economy, and food security, end quote. And although many people have attributed the arms strike to the extradition of the drug trafficker known as Otoniel to the United States, the Regional Space Coalition has been alerting the authorities since September 2020 about this. So really, this has been going on for years. We even had a conversation a year ago in the same CropCast program about the security situation in Montes de Maria and the lack of action on the part of the state in the face of this serious situation. So I would like to know as a social leader and as a young person, what is your analysis regarding the situation and what does the security situation mean more in general for young people? Regarding what happened this past May 4th, for us as young people and also throughout the territory of Montes de Maria, it's a pretty concerning situation. We have been working on the protection and defense of human rights of communities, people in the territories of the land, and it's really sad. It's really sad that history keeps repeating itself. Truly, today, we as a territory and as social leaders who live through the armed conflict, who have worked in peace building, who have worked on different processes to guarantee non-repetition of the armed conflict in Colombia, we know what we lived through. We know everything the territories suffered. We were displaced from our territories. Something very similar to what happened recently with the armed strike of the Caetanista Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, known as the Gulf Clan. Really, it's sad and unfortunate that our country, with all of the crises of violence that it's been through over the course of history, that we haven't been able to propose or to implement a structure that guarantees peace in the territories, that guarantees the security of social leaders, that guarantees people's rights and guarantees the possibility of living in peace. I think that the reflection is that it's time for government officials to sit with us in the current working group committees that we have developed. This is emerging work that Colombia needs. The state should rethink new proposals aimed at development, at building peace in the territories, and at building teams and institutions. I think that the problem is structural, and we know the governments themselves are complicit, because really we as leaders have seen that they are not working. Currently, the government that we have under President Ivan Duque does little, and we have seen practically no progress and no proposal that is aimed at peace building. The peace accords have failed. In other words, today, we are not even talking about a peace process anymore. With this process that we have worked for and what we have fought for, it is not fair. It is not fair that today we are once again being confined, that an armed strike is happening once again in the communities, and that today the voices of the communities are being overshadowed. For example, today, in order to survive, in order to remain in the territories, we have to be silent. This is the strategy that I've been talking about with other young people specifically with the Youth Peace Provoker Movement in the Alta Montaña, and with the coalition at the level of Montes de Maria, the regional space. I was reflecting on May 7th, which was the day of our gathering, which is normally held every month on the first Saturday, that I believe that today the best security that we have is to be quiet and to be careful. And it's not fair. It's not fair that today, again, the groups are coming to the territories and cannot speak out against them. 
So the strategy or the measure that we have, apart from those that the government really proposes, is that we have made the decision to be silent again. It's so sad. I mean, listening to you now and some parts of what you all wrote in the press release for the Regional Space for Peace Building also occurred to me. So I want to quote from the Regional Spaces press release here. Quote, the responsibility for the structure of the terror regime that has been imposed in the territories where peace has been shattered falls on the Colombian state, the policies of the current government, and the complicit silence of local and regional authorities, end quote. And furthermore, the press release demands an immediate cessation of hostilities, the demobilization of the Gulf clan, and also public and responsible government policies and the fulfillment of the commitments that the Regional Space for Peacebuilding as a coalition made with the state more than a year ago to promote a collective protection model centered on nonviolence and well-being, which up until today, the local and national authorities that signed those commitments have not fulfilled. And I think it's really important to emphasize this nonviolent collective protection model. The regional space and grassroots organizations in Monte Semerdia have been speaking out against not only the intensification of threats against social leaders and rural communities for years, but also the militarized model of security provided by the state to individuals, which includes the use of bodyguards, armored vehicles, and the removal of leaders from the territory as a way of providing security protection. And facing this situation, you proposed an alternative model of nonviolent collective protection. And I would like to know for you as a young person and as a leader, what are the necessary peace policies that the government should implement? And what does this model of community-based collective protection mean to you specifically? Well, mainly we have seen the incapacity of the state. It has not really provided protection that guarantees life in the territory, in the communities of Monte de Maria, in other parts of the country. We have seen that these models are not aimed at protection. On the contrary, the state security model is based on making the leaders visible, but they still receive threats. So really, we do not have confidence in the security models of the state itself. On the other hand, today, the security that we as a movement and as communities are realizing is that we must unify ourselves through our social processes, that we must pay attention to the situations that communities are living in. We have to keep in direct contact so that whatever happens in a community, whatever happens in a municipality of Montes de Maria, we feel the support of other municipalities and you can feel the support of other communities. This is so that it is not only one community, so that it is not just one social leader and so there's not just one person. I believe that it is in the unifying of all these processes that we are working towards the construction of peace in order to guarantee people's continued presence in the territories. I think this is the best way. And also to be cautious. We today as movements and territories must maintain a process that really guarantees our lives and also guarantees safety in the territories. Because today I'm afraid to return to my community. I'm already a visible person. I'm a social leader and people like me, today the government does not want them in the territory. Today, again, we have realized that what the current state wants is for nothing in the territories to draw attention to what is happening in our communities. Because yeah, for them, they say, no, Montes de Maria, there's nothing happening in Montes de Maria, because this is the information that they control to demonstrate that nothing is happening. But in reality, we are in the territories. We can speak out. We can contextualize. We can disprove what the media presents today. And really, 
today, we do not have support from the current government. There's no support. There is no security measure that says this is aimed at the security of the community's social leaders. Now, Owen, I don't know if you want to say anything else to the international community, since this crop cast will also be released in English. What would you want to say about the situation to the international community specifically? Well, I really believe that we have seen the incapacity of the current Colombian governments of the leaders. And in my reflection, we need international support for establishing oversight that supports the peace agreements, that guarantees the ability to remain in the territories. And that in Colombia, we are working towards peace building because today we do not want history to continue repeating itself. We do not want more violence. We do not want the conflict to be repeated again because really it was something that we lived through and that really marked us. Today, there is a youth population that wants to have a different way of life. Today, we have processes that aim to create changes in the territories. We do not want our voices to continue to be overshadowed. We really want to live in our territory of peace. It is about time that our country make conclusive decisions towards peace building that are really based on realities and that really point to the needs, rights, and to a way of living in peace. What we want are actions that are really reflected in life and that are not only actions on paper, but that are reflected in the processes that are seen in the communities. We hope that voices like mine, voices from the movements, are the ones that say, well, our model is really happening. It is working. It is not just on paper. So if our international community envisions and supports us in moving towards new models that really point to realities and that contribute to living in peace, we will be in a different country than the one we have lived in throughout history. Thank you so much, Naon, for the courage to share, for speaking to the situation, and for continuing the struggle to build peace from and for the territory in Colombia. Angie, I wanted to add something very short here. I personally have always been a campesino who wants to see the work and the recognition and value that the campesino sector has. For that reason, today I am becoming a professional because I want to return to my territory. I want to work in my territory. But looking at the situation we are living in today, I really feel that there is a big limitation. I feel this limitation. With this insecurity that we are living through, I will not be able to work in my chosen career. And sadly, it's gotten to the point that I could even leave the territory. So this is a concern that I have really been thinking about during these last weeks. I felt frustrated. I've cried because I'm a young victim, a young person who has a different vision, a young person who is familiar with the problems a young person who wants to transform his territory. But seeing the situation, I feel that I do not have enough of an ability to do it because we know that there is no guaranteed support from the government itself. So like my hopes, like my dreams, like my desire to work in my territory, it is frustrating. And I feel that they are killing our dreams for life. Not only me, but the dreams of all the young people. I'm a conscious person who knows my problems. I'm aware of the current situation that the country is going through. And it is sad that there are no strong measures aimed at protection. I'm considering leaving the territory. In fact, something very personal. My mother told me, Naun, wait for the situation to calm down. Wait for everything to normalize before you come back to the community. I'm currently in the city of Cincelejo. So sadly, that is something that hurts today. It makes me sad that this is happening. So where do we see human rights? Where is community development guaranteed, specifically in our territories that have been victims of the conflict? They continue to be victimized. So really, it is sad, but I know for sure that I will fight. 
I will continue to work on myself as a human being, as a person, and work for my community. I feel that my territory needs it, and it is not fair that today we are in these processes. We want to continue fighting for a dignified life and to live in peace in our territories. It is not fair that our dreams have limitations, but I know with certainty that I will give my life for my territory, and we need support. I'll close with that. Thank you very much, Naun. And we'll continue together fighting for the defense of territory to guarantee your dignified permanence in the territory. Thank you for sharing with us. Thanks to each one of you for joining this conversation today. For those of you listening, we would invite you to check out the full peace policy issue at peacepolicy.nd.edu. You've been listening to the CrocCast, Peace Studies Conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. You can find all episodes of the CrocCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and online at croc.nd.edu slash podcast. You can also rate and review our podcast, which will help more people find our show. For more updates, stories, and videos from the Croc Institute, follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thank you.